time. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, you probably have a cell phone. You can go to uh, Bible Hub. You can go to Bible Gateway. You can go to Uversion. Any of those uh, might be helpful for you, but we would love for you to be into your word. Um, and that was the first week. We're, we're in a series where we're going through our core values. And the very first week, we hit on the very first core value that we have as a church. And that basically just means that these are six things that are really important to us as a church. Now, all the rest of them, after the first, they're not in any kind of order. Um, but the first one is always going to be first, and that's what we call relentless pursuit, which means this, that the word of God is always going to be number one for us. We're always going to look at what God has to say, and I think that is incredibly important, especially in today's day and age, when you're hearing a lot of voices. You're going to hear a lot of different people say different things. You're going to have a lot of people write different things in books and tell you that this is God's word, but I will tell you right now, if it does not line up with God's word, it is not God's word. And so it's important for us to understand that and always go to that. So we're going to have all these questions in life. We're going to have all these times where we get a little bit lost. Let's go to God's word. That is the relentless pursuit, that we would look at, look at this life through a biblical worldview lens, which means that we're going to look at this life and allow God's word to kind of direct our path. Okay? Now, what I think is amazing and fascinating is that the older I get, there are certain scriptures in the Bible that just become a little bit more real to me. You guys ever had that where you read something that you've read prior, but then because of your age or because of your life experience, you're like, man, that means more to me now than it ever has before. For me, that passage in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16 Hone in to Proverbs 16, the wisdom that comes through this. Here's what it says. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained by living a godly life. Did you catch that? Gray hair is a crown of glory. And I told my wife to cut all mine off. So she did this morning. So anyway, there's things in the Bible you probably didn't know were there. That would be one passage of scripture. And then the second core value that we have is next generation. And what we mean by that is the idea of this. You are responsible for raising your children up in Christ. It is your responsibility as a parent to raise your kids in the word of God. Everything that we do here as a church should be icing on that cake. But it should not be that we come here, this is the only time they experience worship, they only experience God's word, they only hear it here. It should be something that they're hearing seven days a week. In fact, I love the fact that we had a lot of families that dug into our August challenge. Last week, I challenged everybody, and if you haven't done this, get on it. You've only missed one day, okay? But just to be in God's word for 30 straight days. And we've made it really easy. It doesn't take that long. The scriptures are pretty simple. We actually read through the entire chapter at our house. But get into that. And you can go on our website. And uh, I think we sent everybody an email. But you can dig into that um, for the 30 days that we've got that going on. And then that leads us to tonight. And tonight, as far as all the attributes of church goes, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. It's also the one that I think over the last six months that we have realized <laughs> when it is taken away, um, we're missing something. 
we are. Because COVID has given us a deep understanding of how important it is and how good, solid Christian community is in our lives. Authentic community. That we would be the church that God wants us to be. Now, I'm glad that we have technology. I really am. I think it's really neat sometimes. So I'm glad that we have it. But we need to also realize and understand that it was never intended to take place of true face-to-face, even with a mask on, interaction. So our time on Zoom, and I heard people even a month in, yeah, I'm Zoomed out. Zoomed out. That's something in 2020 that you've heard for the very first time. I'm Zoomed out. And it's because that's not the way it was intended to be. Even folks in our life group, they're like, yeah, I just want to be face-to-face. I want to be with people. And we totally get that. And so we respect the idea of distancing for our physical health. But as far as the emotional, spiritual, and mental health, it is good for us to be together. It's good for us to make sure that we are having interaction. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, and Sarah and I would hear this from people. Uh, three or four months into our COVID season, we'd hear people say, yeah, nothing's really changed in our house. And when we would hear people say that, we would kind of be a little bit disappointed. We'd be a little sad because, man, God gave you an amazing opportunity to be in your home with God's word, with your family, and that should have been something that should have escalated in your home is that we should be having a little bit of change in that. And so if nothing really changed, that may be something you need to evaluate. And so uh, tonight we're obviously talking about authentic community. Authentic, the word authentic means genuine and real. Everybody say genuine and real. Genuine and real. There you go. The idea is that it's not fake, which I think is ironic because my time in the church, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of fake. Okay, I've seen a lot of things where we come in. This may not be your experience. I don't think it's as much with Revive. But when I was growing up, I would be surrounded by people in church who would come in and pretend like they had everything going right. And they would come in with smiles on their faces and they would have this persona of everything is perfect. And what you would realize later on is there's a whole bunch of stuff that was going on in their life in the background that really stunk. And so the idea is that we would be real and we would be genuine. We would be authentic with one another. And so we want to make sure we're doing that because let's just be honest. This church and every other church is filled with broken, sinful people. We are sinful people. And we always, I like to say that it's okay to not be okay. Just not okay to stay that way. We want to make sure we're on a path, we're on an angle that is getting better and more Christ-like, more godly. Here at Revive, we believe that authentic community, I'll put it on the screen, that we all have a longing for authentic community, that no man is an island, and our desire is to connect people to each other, and to grow in relationship with one another and to serve our neighbors in love. So you're going to see two angles of this authentic community. You're going to see it within the church, and you're going to see it that we're inviting other people to be a part of authentic community, which our neighbors, coworkers, people that we go to school with, whatever it looks like, we want them to see something different 
in the church. We want them to see the church a little bit different through the life that you are living and you're inviting them into that. And so obviously this is my favorite attribute because I love people, okay? If I have to isolate, I don't like that for too long. Now there are some times that I would love three days by myself, okay? Just give me a campfire, give me a couple friends or whatever, and or get the rid of the friends just by myself. That would be good. But I don't want to sustain that for very long. All right, so hopefully you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, my Bible's upside down. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Here's what it says. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miracles, many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. This is the beginning of the church. Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples and a lot of people um, for the last three years, for the last three years in full-time ministry. And then he ascends into heaven and he gifts his disciples with the Holy Spirit. The best gift ever given to the disciples with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now they're doing amazing things, but we're also seeing what the church's original design was to look like. And it starts out by saying they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I would say this. Today, this is not limited to hearing what a preacher has to say. You actually, and this is a really good thing, you have the advantage and access of the word of God which means that you can hear from God every single day. You don't have to wait for me to get up on Sunday to open it up and read it to you. And so this is the advantage. But back then, what they really had was for somebody to teach them. And so they would adhere and they would listen to the apostles' teaching. And they would get that word from them. The other thing is fellowship. Uh, the word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. It's a word that you've probably heard before. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard this word koinonia. The word koinonia actually means partnership, common. This idea that you have to participate in it. You need to contribute. You are not a part of true fellowship if you are not an active, active contributor to it in some way. And so... We all want to be an active participant in community, not just a consumer of it, okay? So that gets you out of the stands, into the sideline, and out onto the playing field. And when you do that, especially when it comes to church, it will take your life to another level. I really believe that. And that's koinonia. So 
One thing that we've been dealing with, my kids aren't going to be happy that I'm going to talk about this illustration, but one thing that we've been dealing with in our home right now is teaching our kids to pick up after themselves, all right? Any parents like that? Any spouses waiting for their spouse to pick up after themselves? <laughs> but that's one of the things we're working on with our kids. Hey, it is important for you as a member of our family to pick up after yourself. When you make a mess, you clean it up. It is not mom and dad's only responsibility to pick up after you, okay? Now, it was when they were babies, but they're no longer babies. But I think for a long time, they've watched mom and dad pick up after them and do all the things that they could be doing. But we told them, hey, if you want to be a part of this family, you need to step up and take responsibility and you need to contribute. And it's amazing that I think the American church is very similar to that, where people will sit in seats and they will watch other people lead and other people will do and other people will clean up. Other people will be the ones that read scripture. And so we watch leaders, and instead of being an active participant in it, we just watch others, and we need to work on that. The other thing they did is they broke bread together. They had meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to hit on this in a little bit. And then they prayed. They prayed together, and they prayed for one another. And that is one thing that I think that we need to do better. We need to be in a house of prayer. We need to be praying for one another. I'm going to hit on that also in a little bit. Now, flip over to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to do something I don't do very often. I'm going to read from the message version. Here's what the, the way the message version uh, reads Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. In another translation, it has the word common, that they had these things in common, and where we get the word community. Okay? So, in common, we are community one heart, one mind, and they didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. Did you catch that? They shared everything. It's what they did. I was thinking, you know what? That's what family does. Isn't that what family does? As they share. Even God's word promises us that he's going to share with us an inheritance that we cannot even imagine. And he's going to gift that to us. It says they were united or in common, that they were a community with one goal, one heart, one mind. Now, here's the question. How do they do that? How can they be so united and one heart and one mind. Because you're thinking, man, even in the four walls of my own home, we are not one heart, one mind, right? We have disagreements, we have squirrels, squabbles, whatever it is. Unless you're living by yourself, you may even fight with yourself. So how do they do that? How can so many people come together and be united with one heart and one mind? And I've thought about this for a while because I'm like, man, that's what we need to get to. 
and I could only come up with one reasonable and logical explanation. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That when they came together, their goal was to come before the Father together. And when they invite the Holy Spirit, they don't care about the other stuff. Okay? Like, the election is going on. We all know it. Some of you guys are incredibly passionate about it. But sometimes, man, when we come in this place or when we come together and we are united, and it's like, hey, the election, what? Whatever. I'm so geared up with the Holy Spirit. I'm so geared up because I'm blown away that I'm in the, I'm in the presence of God. And that's the goal. And I'm not saying the election's not important. I'm not saying other things are not important. But when our number one priority is to come together, invite the Holy Spirit in and experience Jesus, guess what? The other stuff starts fading away just a little bit, which I think would do everybody a little bit of good. So they came together. They did life together. And they had Christ and each other in mind. And I love that. John 17 verse 20 through 21, says something that I think is just so crucial. And God, Jesus says it, and I think sometimes we miss it. But he says, he, he's addressing his disciples, but he's saying this not only for them, but for us that would follow. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, catch this, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. He says, I pray that they will be, you see that word? They will be one. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. He's saying, man, I want people to believe the message that you're sharing because of your unity. Because of your unity. Now, churches need to remember that. Because I've been in enough churches to see some of the craziest disunity that just is so sad. I've seen more fighting in the church than sometimes out of it. And Jesus says, man, if you want them to believe the message that you have to share, you need to be unified. And it does not mean that you're going to agree on everything. But it does mean we're going to love each other, we're going to respect one another, and we're going to have the message of Christ always be number one. So we're going to be unified. All right. So here's the idea. None of us were created to go through this life alone. You were not created to be in a Robinson Crusoe type of lifestyle where you are all by yourself on an island. You're created to go through life with other people. It's why God designed it the way that he did. And one of the greatest gifts that we have is each other. Okay? Now, it may not always feel that way, but it is. One of the greatest gifts that we have is each other. God knew that life was not going to be easy. In fact, it would be difficult. And there are passages all throughout the Bible that says, you are going to go through difficult times. When storms come your way, when trials come your way, when troubles come your way, it never promises in God's word that it will be easy. But I can tell you this, I think it will be better 
together. Because when it's not easy, a lot of us can say, you know what? I got your back. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. And so that is what makes life better when we are connected in healthy Christ-based relationships. But don't miss this because I think here's what happens a lot of times when we go through the storms, when we go through the trials, when things are horrible, when the stuff hits the fan in our life, so to speak, a lot of times what happens is instead of gravitating towards really good, solid Christian relationships, a lot of times what will happen is people will retreat. They will go off by themselves. And that will become their default to back off and get away. I don't want other people to be around me because I'm going through a difficult time. And God sets it up, say, you know what? When you're going through a difficult time, I want some people coming up beside you to link arms with you, to love you through that, encourage you through that, to hold you accountable where you need it, not withdraw. In fact, it's interesting that a lot of times, not even a lot of times, I have heard and I've heard studies that have said the absolute worst form of punishment in our prison system is isolation. That when you are isolated for a long period of time, it is one of the most horrific forms of punishment that you could endure. Because you were not created to be by yourself. You're not created to be alone. And I understand that too, because that's kind of the way I'm wired. In fact, when I was growing up and I was a kid, this age, the worst form of punishment for me as a kid was grounding, where my parents would say, you have to go over here and you're going to sit there or you're going to go to your room, you're going to do nothing, you're going to do nothing by yourself. And I would be like, can you just beat me for about 30 seconds so I can go on my own way? And so what they would do is they would spank me for about 30 seconds and then ground me so they would just cover both bases, all right? But I had the mentality, man, if you can just spank my butt for about 30 seconds and then I can go out and I can be with friends, that's what I wanted because I'm wired to be with people. And you are too, even if you're an introvert. You need to be around people. And it may not be masses, it may be two or three. But you do need it. So no matter who you are, we need that. All right. Uh, one of the things I had thought about with this, and I even I mentioned this the first time I did this message, um, but it amazes me that, you know, sports are kind of kicking back in. Of course, I'm expecting tomorrow for them to shut down everything because that's just the way this whole season is gone. But please don't shut down hockey. Please. <laughs> so we can all pray about that. So... Anyway, but I think it's amazing. You watch people, and this is me. On Saturdays, I am in my University of Tennessee jerseys. I'm wearing orange clothing. Why? Because that's my team. And in the fall, that's football season, and I wear those jerseys. You guys wear the jerseys. It's why we have Bronco Country. Is it Bronco Country? You guys don't even know. Cheeseheads, Raider Nation, whatever it is. These are not rhetorical questions. <laughs> Can you people on the internet comment on, you can just, just give me an amen or something. But we do this. We wear the shirts. We wear the jerseys. We wear the clothes. You Packer people put things on your head. It looks ridiculously stupid. We do it 
because we want to feel like we're a part of something, right? And it does. When I put on my Tennessee 16 Peyton Manning jersey, it makes me feel like I'm a part of it. And I am a fan. I get to be a part of something greater than myself. And it's better together. And we have better balance in our lives when we are with other people. Now, let me clarify, because I think sometimes we misunderstand this. When we talk about being yoked and being around other people, um, there's two sides of this, because there are people that are going to make your life better in Christ, and then there are other people, and you probably know who they are, that are not the best for you. And it doesn't mean they can't be an acquaintance, but when we link ourselves with them, when we yoke ourselves with them, it becomes very, very dangerous for you to live out the life that Christ wants you to. And so be very careful who you connect yourself with. So the other thing the authentic community do, does is it gives us great strength. It really does. It gives us emotional and physical strength. It has been scientifically proven that we have better emotional stability and health and physical health when we are in positive and healthy relationships. So, for instance, if you guys have ever lifted weights, and maybe some of the women, if you've ever gone to the gym and you've lifted weights, you know this to be true because when you have somebody spotting you and cheering you on, you give it another rep. All right? When you have that person that says, hey, don't give up. You can do this. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. When you have somebody doing that and watching over you and encouraging you to do that, man, you don't want to give up. I think the same thing when it comes to our spiritual walk is true. When you have people come alongside you, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. Don't give up. You can do this. Keep going. Take that next step. Man, it encourages me. It keeps, I want to keep going. I really do. That feels good. We become stronger, not only physically, but spiritually, emotionally. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Now, I think one of the things that is incredibly sad for me is when I will be talking to people and you guys are in the room so this probably doesn't apply to you but you've probably heard it people say you know what I just don't need church I'm okay on my own I can just read the Bible stay in my house and I'm okay and I think that's a lie that the devil's really trying to push because you cannot read scripture and confirm that. You can't. Uh, one of the people that Sarah and I have been listening to quite a bit lately, I think it's Vody. It's either Vody or Vody. Anybody? Okay. Uh, he's a pastor. Thank you. Uh, pastor and professor. He's now the dean of theology at African Christian University in Zambia. But one of the things that he mentions is just this idea. If you are getting pressed on every side of your life by Satan, the world, and they are coming out you, out at you, and you think you can handle it on your own, 
without God, really through some of his people surrounding you? Well, good luck. And so I believe Satan tries to give us the lie and that we would believe it, that we can do all this by ourselves. Because Hebrews 10, 25, again, we're going to go to God's word, and this follows 24 that we just read. But verse 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't ever, ever stop meeting together. This is good. This is what God had in mind. So, I've described it like family several times tonight. In fact, the very first thing I did when I got up uh, here to lead us into worship was I described this as like a family. That's what I think makes the church so beautiful. Is it going to be like a family? In fact, Pastor Rick Warren, I think, said it best. He said, church is not an event that you attend, but rather a family you belong to. Pretty amazing since his church is well over 20, 30,000 people that you can come into a place like that and it can feel like family. You find your family within the family. And I'm not telling you you have to go be at a church of that size. I like all sizes. But we are to be a family. It's the way it's designed. So how are we doing at being a family? And so please understand, this would be through a world, uh, a view of a healthy family. And I'm just going to give a litmus test and then I'm going to wrap it up and we're going to eat. Okay. So this is just kind of a litmus test of how we are doing at being a healthy family when it comes to, when we compare it to the church. All right. And this may hurt a little bit, but it's okay. All right. Family is welcome in my home. In my backyard. Family stays together even when you get upset at one another. I think we have too many people who get upset or offended and they immediately move on to the next church. And you'll be at that next church until what happens? you get offended or upset because of something that is said or done and you don't like that and so we keep moving on. I had an analogy for that, but I don't think it works because the illustration I had was, could you imagine if we did that in our own homes where something that was said offended us or made us angry and we just moved on? and moved on to a different spouse. It was like, I'm leaving. And yet, the reason I think it's a bad illustration is because people do that. You upset me, I'm out. But maybe, I think one of the biggest things for that is that I think it robs God of doing something absolutely amazing, and that is through the act of forgiveness and mending relationships. God loves it when that happens. But if we just move on without mending that and asking for forgiveness and offering it, then I think that that is a shame because family forgives one another. Family forgives one another. And family shares most everything that they have. It is our home. So, and then the last thing that it hits on 
is the idea of prayer. And I'll just be honest, we need to do more praying. We need to know what your prayers are. This is why I think life group and DNA groups are so important. When we can share these things that are on our hearts and that we're going through and we share those things with people. So now they know not only how to pray for you folks, listen, not only how they can pray for you, but how they can be an answer to prayer for you. And I believe that that's probably 98% of the time of how God answers prayer today isn't through some miraculous act of God where he comes walking on water. It is when his children hear it and then act accordingly. If I hear you need something, then God is laying it on my heart. Man, I just heard that you were struggling with having enough food for the week. I got tons of food. Let's be the church. I can be an answer to that prayer. When we hear each other's prayers, it enables us to be answers to prayer. And so share those things with people around you. And I would say, uh, that's, that's, man, God loves to do that. He loves to answer prayer through his children. And I think it's beautiful. And then I would say, make sure, and we're going to hit on this in a few weeks, so I'm not going to spend a whole long time with it, but just when our life groups, DNA groups, but mealtime, invite people into your home, care for one another at a high level, because the storms are going to come. Storms are going to come. Do you have people walking alongside of you to help you out, to encourage you to go through it? A um, friend of mine, Adam Coop, who's up in Laramie, called me the other day, and he said, Jeff, I know you've... He had uh, somebody, a family, that they had somebody who committed suicide. And unfortunately, I've done a lot of suicide funerals in the last 10 years. I've done over eight of them. Um, and that's sad. And as I was thinking about it this week after Adam called, because he just wanted me to pray and give him maybe some of the thoughts that I had on it, but a lot of the suicide funerals that I've done have been people who have retreated and isolated themselves and gotten away from other people. They weren't plugged in to church. They weren't plugged into authentic community. And so when they went through that really, really dark season, they didn't have anybody to encourage them. And that's what the church is to do, that we would pray more intimately for one another, that we'd be there for each other, that we'd laugh together, cry together, be at the hospitals for one another. This is why we always say that circles are better than rows. Because we can look at each other in the eyes and we can see the pain and the joy in each other's faces. So, here's what we need, here's what you need to know. And it's not going to be comfortable. And it's always, I think, a little uncomfortable at first. So, when you start to develop these relationships and they're real and honest, you're going to be sharing things that you've normally not shared with other people. You're going to start to share some sin stuff, some really deep things that goes below surface level. 
and it's gonna be a little painful at first, but I tell you what, in the end, in the long run, it's gonna feel like you have a huge weight lifted off of your shoulders. And now you have this openness within you and the people that you have this authentic community with. And now they know how to pray for you. But it's not going to be comfortable at first because it is real and it is honest. But we're not going to be fake. And we're going to get to it. My wife said this way. She said, community, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. So, Here's another challenge for you. Last week, I challenged everybody to be in the scriptures, uh, to lead your family through God's word for 30 straight days. So I'm going to add to it tonight. And here's the deal. I'm just going to challenge you guys and try to figure out a way to do this. I know COVID is, is kind of a difficult thing, but if you have a backyard, if you have a patio, we can open up this patio so you can use it. But who is somebody that is a part of Revive that you've never broken bread with. And I'm going to challenge you, if you consider this your church home, to invite somebody that you've never broken bread with, never had a meal with, in the month of August, to do that. All right? I know you can do it. We did it three times this past week. So I know you can do one time in the month of August. Okay? Now, let me clarify. I think I just lied. We did it three times this week, but with people that we have already broken bread with. So the challenge for us is, who have we not broken bread with? And I'm going to challenge you guys to do that. Invite somebody into your home or backyard. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. I don't care. Just have authentic community. It will be beautiful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. And again, as we get ready to break bread together, as we get ready to partake in your uh, holy communion and then have a meal together beyond just communion, I pray that this will be a time where we're just encouraged by the authentic community that we have around us and that it's something that we never, ever stop doing, that we will always, always surround ourselves with like-minded people, people that are going to encourage us, hold us accountable, that are going to just give us that extra pat on the back, that extra shove when we need it. It makes the church so beautiful. Help us to be a family, the family that you would like us to be. In this we ask in your name. Amen.